The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Father John Zulsdorf at another podcast. We welcome as our guest today, Bishop Athanasius Schneider an auxiliary bishop in Astana, Kazakhstan. Many of you will have already heard of Bishop Schneider. He's an auxiliary in Kazakhstan. He's descended from Germans who settled in the Ukraine, who were then later consigned by Stalin to the gulags of the Ural Mountains. After they released, uh, after their release, they moved to uh, Kyrgyzstan, now Kazakhstan. Uh, Kazakhstan, by the way, is a huge Central Asian republic bordered by Russia on the north and to uh, China on the east, and uh, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan to the south and also borders on part of the Caspian Sea. It's the largest landlocked country in the world. It's really quite large. Uh, Kazakh, by the way, uh, is a Turkic word for to wander, and it's what gives us um, our word Cossacks that we sometimes think about when we think of that, uh, that section of, of Asia. Bishop Schneider taught patristics, and very often in his writings and speeches he quotes the fathers of the church. Uh, he's known for having spoken out boldly at meetings of bishops, uh, the synod, for example, in favor of traditional practices and doctrines, such as reception of Holy Communion on the tongue, which is also the theme of a wonderful book that he produced called Dominus Est. In 2010, Bishop Schneider called for a new syllabus of errors, as it were, which would correct false interpretations of Vatican II. Uh, the bishop travels very widely, and he is a strong supporter of tradition. I've met him on quite a few occasions, and have had the privilege of sitting by him at a couple of meals, and I can personally attest that he is a fine scholar and a great gentleman, and he exudes an attitude of uh, joy and prayerfulness. Uh, he's a wonderful man. Bishop Schneider recently released a letter in support of four cardinals, who made public five dubia, or formally phrased questions uh, submitted to the Pope or to a congregation uh, that look for yes or no answers. And these dubia uh, are about the contents of Pope Francis' post-synodal apostolic exhortation Amoris Laetitia, especially chapter 8, which is kind of a troubling chapter. These cardinals... Um, are all presently retired or without curial or diocesan offices, and they are Cardinals Kafara, Brandmüller, Burke, and Meisner. And the dubia, the official questions that they submitted, seek to clarify whether or not the pastoral practices suggested in Amoris Laetitia are in keeping with past documents of the magisterium, such as Veritatis Splendor and Familiaris Consortio. 
Uh, Veritatis Splendor dealt with moral theology. Familiaris Consortio of John Paul II was also an apostolic exhortation that had many, that had quite a long document having to do with the family. Now, at the core of the five dubia, however, is really a main point of whether or not the church still teaches, or consistently teaches, or if Moris Laetitia is consistent with the church's perennial teaching, that there are truly acts that are objectively, gravely sinful. Are there, or aren't there? Are there consequences to this, for example, concerning reception of the sacraments? Now, the four cardinals... And uh, my people tell me that there are a couple of more cardinals who signed but didn't want their names, you know, put out in public, um, had submitted these questions, these dubia, to Pope Francis. But when they didn't get an answer after a, a suitable period of time, uh, in the spirit of Matthew 18, verses 16 to 17, which says, if your brother will not listen to you, take with you two or three witnesses. If he will not listen even to them, tell it to the assembly. In spirit of that quote from Matthew, they, not having gotten an answer, went public with the questions. And quite a little firestorm has resulted uh, since then. These cardinals have come under uh, some pretty serious fire um, from shall we say, more progressivist or liberal quarters. And Pope Francis has not, uh, to date, uh, by the time I'm, at the time I'm speaking, um, issued his own answers to the dubia. Uh, neither has the Congregation for Doctrine of the Faith. So, in light of the attacks on these four cardinals and on the five dubia, Bishop Schneider put out his own letter, uh, and he asked people that to spread his letter around, make it known. Uh, quite a few online sources have it. I started getting it right away in emails. People were sending me the, a Word document of it. I know that you can very easily find it online. And uh, you, some of you will more easily digest it if you read it online. However, I know that some of you have an easier time listening than reading. So that's what I'm going to do for you today. I'm going to read the document. Now, as you listen... Tune your ear for a few points, which are by no means exhaustive. Just a few things that occur to me to, to help you out as you read. Uh, Bishop Schneider quotes especially St. Hilary of Poitiers. Now, he's a great father of the church, of the Latin church. Uh, he died in 367, so he's fairly early on. Uh, his nickname was the Malleus Arianorum, the hammer of the Arians. Now, Hillary knew suffering. He knew exile, probably because he refused to denounce Athanasius and the Nicene Creed. The world was being torn apart by Arianism at the, at the time. And the Arians, as you remember, held that Christ was not divine like the Father, but was the greatest of creatures elevated by the Father. And this became highly political. Uh, the conflict was very political in Christendom. Great forces, including state and political power, lined up mostly with the Arian heresy. Isn't it interesting that in so many important moments in history that power tends to back error? Uh, just like our, our own days, I suppose. Those of the 
Orthodox Nicene faith were persecuted back then, much as in our times today, modernists and their cohorts in civil government marginalize the faithful, and they call them all sorts of things like being rigid, or they accuse them of being insensitive, or unpastoral, ooh, the gravest of all sins being unpastoral, and so forth. Well, I digress. Bishop Schneider doesn't name any names, but he does point to uh, prelates who have accused the four cardinals uh, of being uh, witless or naive or uh, bordering on schismatic or the her heretical, which is remarkably ironic, and uh, even compares them uh, with great irony again to the Arian heretics, uh, ironic at the very least. Schneider quotes documents of Vatican II in his call for greater tolerance and respect for true dialogue in the service of the truth. Indeed, Bishop Schneider seems to be mostly concerned that the truth be sought and served. He is raising his voice in defense of those who have called uh, respectfully for dialogue and clarity, but he's defending those who are asking for clarity because he's defending the truth, and this is his job as a bishop, and he points this out, too. This is what bishops should do. We should thank bishops who are looking for the truth and ask the proper questions and so forth, rather than uh, marginalize them or excoriate them. Now, Schneider, uh, who is a student of the early church, uh, points out even in history that popes sometimes can get things wrong. And um, more than one pope, as a matter of fact, he only really uses one example here, the example of Pope Liberius, but he, he could go back through history and we can find other popes. Uh, Schneider also quotes Blessed John Henry Newman on this matter. You can listen for that quote. Uh, Schneider in his, in his notes, and I try to include the notes um, in here, I try to uh, read the notes um, so that you can, you know, get it into your, get them into your ears and even look up later if you want to. If you want to find a little bit more, you can find the text and, and look up the the references. But the references are, are abbreviations. Um, and so I'll spin out some of the abbreviations when I read those notes. And by the way, and when I read quotes, um, I'll try to pitch my voice a little differently when I start to read the quotes so that I don't have to say, you know, begin quote, close quote, so forth. It just slows us down. I hope that, that works. Uh, anyway, in his references, uh, Schneider mentions a work called Denziger Schoenmetzer, um, usually abbreviated DS, uh, and then with a number, a paragraph number. The Denziger Schoenmetzer is a handbook of the most important quotes and citations from historical theology, starting with the, the Apostles' Creed and then going on with official teachings of councils and popes. It was first assembled in the late uh, 19th century by Heinrich Josef Dominicus Denziger and was updated in many editions after that as, you know, things piled up, more popes came and there were you know, more councils and so forth, and those had to be added. Uh, the most notable update was done by Adolf Schoenmetzer, which is why it's called Denziger Schoenmetzer. Um, the numbering of later editions changed, so you have to be very careful. If you find some old copy of Denzinger that's like a really old one, it might have different numbering. So you have to be just a little careful about that. Also, uh, you should know that there's there are new bilingual versions of Denziger Schoenmetzer. 
uh, wonderful volumes, which uh, have the original languages, usually Latin or Greek, on the one side, and then facing it with a vernacular, which makes it a lot easier to uh, to use uh, for those who aren't quite as familiar or fluent with, uh, with the original languages. Uh, in any event, uh, without further delay, let's get into uh, Bishop Schneider's letter here. Its title is, A Prophetic Voice of Four Cardinals of the Holy Roman Catholic Church. We cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. 2 Corinthians 13.8 A prophetic voice of four cardinals of the Holy Roman Catholic Church. Out of deep pastoral concern, four cardinals of the Holy Roman Catholic Church, His Eminence Joachim Meissner, Archbishop Emeritus of Cologne, Germany, His Eminence Carlo Caffara, Archbishop Emeritus of Bologna, Italy, His Eminence Raymond Leo Burke, Patron of the Sovereign Military Order of Malta, and His Eminence Walter Brandmüller, President Emeritus of the Pontifical Commission of Historical Sciences, have published on November 14, 2016, the text of five questions, called Dubia, Latin for Doubts which previously, on September 19, 2016, they sent to the Holy Father and to Cardinal Gerhard Müller, Prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, along with an accompanying letter. The Cardinals ask Pope Francis to clear up grave disorientation and great confusion concerning the interpretation and practical application, particularly of Chapter 8, of the Apostolic Exhortation Amoris Laetitia, and its passages relating to admission of remarried divorcees to the sacraments and the Church's moral teaching. In their statement, entitled Seeking Clarity, a plea to you untie the knots in Amoris Laetitia, the cardinals say that to many bishops, priests, faithful, these paragraphs allude to, or even explicitly teach, a change in the discipline of the Church with respect to the divorced who are living in a new union. Speaking so, the cardinals have merely stated real facts in the life of the Church. These facts are demonstrated by pastoral orientations on behalf of several dioceses and by public statements of some bishops and cardinals, who affirm that in some cases— Divorced and remarried Catholics can be admitted to Holy Communion even though they continue to use the rights reserved by divine law to validly married spouses. In publishing a plea for clarity in a matter that touches the truth and the sanctity simultaneously of the three sacraments of marriage, penance, and the Eucharist, the four cardinals only did their basic duty as bishops and cardinals, which consists in actively contributing so that the revelation transmitted through the apostles might be guarded sacredly and might be faithfully interpreted. It was especially the Second Vatican Council that reminded all the members of the College of Bishops as legitimate successors of the apostles of their obligation, according to which, by Christ's institution and command, they have to be solicitous for the whole Church, and that this solicitude, though it is not exercised by an act of jurisdiction, 
contributes greatly to the advantage of the universal church for it is the duty of all bishops to promote and to safeguard the unity of faith and the discipline common to the whole church lumen gentium twenty three see also christus dominus five to six in making a public appeal to the pope bishops and cardinals should be moved by genuine collegial affection for the successor of peter and the vicar of christ on earth following the teaching of vatican council two see lumen gentium twenty two in so doing they render service to the primatial ministry of the pope see director for the pastoral ministry of bishops thirteen the entire church in our days has to reflect upon the fact that the Holy Spirit has not in vain inspired St. Paul to write in the letter to the Galatians about the incident of his public correction of Peter. One has to trust that Pope Francis will accept this public appeal of the four cardinals in the spirit of the Apostle Peter when St. Paul offered him a fraternal correction for the good of the whole church. May the words of that great doctor of the church, St. Thomas Aquinas, illuminate and comfort us all. When there is danger for the faith, subjects are required to reprove their prelates, even publicly, since Paul, who was subject to Peter out of the danger of scandal, publicly reproved him, and Augustine comments, Peter himself gave an example to superiors by not disdaining to be corrected by his subjects when it occurred to them that he had departed from the right path. Summa Theologiae, Secunda Secundae, 33, 4c. Pope Francis often calls for an outspoken and fearless dialogue between all members of the Church in matters concerning the spiritual good of souls. In the Apostolic Exhortation Amores Laetitia, the Pope speaks of a need for open discussion of a number of doctrinal, moral, spiritual, and pastoral questions. Thinking of pastors and theologians, if faithful to the Church, honest, realistic, and creative, will help us to achieve greater clarity. Number 2. Furthermore, Relationships at all levels within the Church must be free from a climate of fear and intimidation, as Pope Francis has requested in his various pronouncements. In light of these pronouncements of Pope Francis and the principle of dialogue and acceptance of legitimate plurality of opinions, which was fostered by the documents of the Second Vatican Council, the unusually violent and intolerant reactions on behalf of some bishops and cardinals against the calm and circumspect plea of the four cardinals cause great astonishment. Among such intolerant reactions, one could read affirmations such as, for instance, the four cardinals are witless, naive, schismatic, heretical, and even comparable to the Arian heretics. Such apodictic, merciless judgments reveal not only intolerance, refusal of dialogue, and irrational rage, but demonstrate also a surrender to the impossibility of speaking the truth, a surrender to relativism in doctrine and practice, in faith and life. The above-mentioned clerical reaction against the prophetic voice of the four cardinals parades ultimately powerlessness, before the eyes of the truth. Such a violent reaction has only one aim, 
to silence the voice of the truth, which is disturbing and annoying the apparently peaceful nebulous ambiguity of these clerical critics. The negative reactions to the public statement of the four cardinals resembled the general doctrinal confusion of the Arian crisis in the fourth century. It is helpful to all to quote in the situation of the doctrinal confusion in our days some affirmations of St. Hilary of Poitiers, the Athanasius of the West. You, the bishops of Gaul, who still remain with me faithful in Christ, did not give way when threatened with the onset of heresy, and now, by meeting that onset, you have broken all its violence. Yes, brethren, you have conquered, to the abundant joy of those who share your faith, and your unimpaired constancy gained the double glory of keeping a pure conscience and giving an authoritative example. Hilary, De Synodis, 3. Your, the bishops of Gaul, invincible faith keeps the honorable distinction of conscious worth and, content with repudiating crafty, vague, or hesitating action, safely abides in Christ, preserving the profession of its liberty. For since we all suffered deep and grievous pain at the actions of the wicked against God, within our boundaries alone is communion in Christ to be found, from the time that the church began to be harried by disturbances such as the expatriation of bishops, the deposition of priests, the intimidation of the people, the threatening of the faith, and the determination of the meaning of Christ's doctrine by human will and power. Your resolute faith does not pretend to be ignorant of these facts, or profess that it can tolerate them, perceiving that by the act of hypocritical assent it would bring itself before the bar of conscience. Hilary de Synodis, 4. I have spoken what I myself believed, conscious that I owed it as my soldier's service to the church, to send to you, in accordance with the teaching of the gospel, by these letters, the voice of the office which I hold in Christ. It is yours to discuss, to provide and to act, that the inviolable fidelity in which you stand you may still keep with conscientious hearts, and that you may continue to hold what you hold now. Hilary de Synodis, 92 the following words of St. Basil the Great, addressed to the Latin bishops, can be in some aspects applied to the situation of those who, in our days, ask for doctrinal clarity, including our four cardinals. The one charge which is now sure to secure severe punishment is the careful keeping of the traditions of the fathers. We are not being attacked for the sake of riches or glory or any temporal advantages. We stand in the arena to fight for our common heritage, for the treasure of the sound faith derived from our fathers. Grieve with us, all you who love the brethren, at the shutting of the mouths of our men of true religion, and at the opening of the bold and blasphemous lips of all that utter unrighteousness against God. The pillars and foundation of the truth are scattered abroad. We whose insignificance has allowed our being overlooked are deprived of our right of free speech. 
Letter 243-24 Today, those bishops and cardinals who ask for clarity and who try to fulfill their duty in guarding sacredly and faithfully, interpreting the transmitted divine revelation concerning the sacraments of marriage and the Eucharist, are no longer exiled as it was with the Nicene bishops during the Arian crisis. Contrary to the time of the Arian crisis, today, as wrote Rudolf Graber, the bishop of Ratisbonne in 1973, exile of the bishops is replaced by hush-up strategies and by slander campaigns. See Athanasius und die Kirche unserer Zeit, Abensberg, 1973, page 23. Another champion of the Catholic faith during the Arian crisis was St. Gregory Nazianzen. He wrote the following striking characterization of the behavior of the majority of the shepherds of the church in those times. This voice of the great doctor of the church should be a salutary warning for the bishops of all times. Surely the pastors have done foolishly, for accepting of very few who either on account of their insignificance were passed over, or who by reason of their virtue resisted, and who were to be left as a seed and root for the springing up again and revival of Israel by the influences of the Spirit, all temporized, only differing from each other in this, that some succumbed earlier and others later. Some were foremost champions and leaders in the impiety, and others joined the second rank of the battle, being overcome by fear, or by interest, or by flattery, or what was the most excusable, by their own ignorance. Orations 21-24 When Pope Liberius, in 357, signed one of the so-called formulas of Sirmium, in which he deliberately discarded the dogmatically defined expression homo usios, and excommunicated St. Athanasius in order to have peace and harmony with the Arian and semi-Arian bishops of the East, faithful Catholics and some few bishops, especially St. Hilary of Poitiers, were deeply shocked. St. Hilary transmitted the letter that Pope Liberius wrote to the Oriental bishops, announcing the acceptance of the formula of Sirmium and the excommunication of St. Athanasius. In his deep pain and dismay, St. Hilary added to the letter, in a kind of desperation, the phrase, Anatoma tibi ame dictum, prevaricator liberi. I say to you anathema, prevaricator liberius. See Denzinger Schoenmetzer, number 141. Pope Liberius wanted to have peace and harmony at any price, even at the expense of the divine truth. In his letter to the heterodox Latin bishops Ursas, Valence, and Germinius, announcing to them the above-mentioned decisions, he wrote that he preferred peace and harmony to martyrdom. See Denzinger Schoenmetzer, number 142. In what dramatic contrast stood the behavior of Pope Liberius to the following conviction of St. Hilary of Poitiers, we don't make peace at the expense of the truth by making concessions in order to acquire the reputation of tolerance. 
we make peace by fighting legitimately according to the rules of the Holy Spirit. There is a danger to ally surreptitiously with unbelief under the beautiful name of peace. Hilary Ad Constantinum 262 Blessed John Henry Newman commented on these unusual sad facts with the following wise and equilibrated affirmation. While it is historically true, it is in no sense doctrinally false that a pope, as a private doctor, and much more bishops, when not teaching formally, may err, as we find they did err, in the fourth century. Pope Liberius might sign an Eusebian formula at Sirmium, and the mass of bishops at Arminium or elsewhere, and yet they might, in spite of this error, be infallible in their ex-cathedra decisions. The Arians of the 4th Century, London, 1876, page 465. The four cardinals, with their prophetic voice demanding doctrinal and pastoral clarity, have a great merit before their own conscience, before history, and before the innumerable simple faithful Catholics of our days, who are driven to the ecclesiastical periphery because of their fidelity to Christ's teaching about the indissolubility of marriage. But above all, the four cardinals have a great merit in the eyes of Christ. Because of their courageous voice, their names will shine brightly at the last judgment. For they obeyed the voice of their conscience, remembering the words of St. Paul, We cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. 2 Corinthians 13.8 Surely at the last judgment, the above-mentioned mostly clerical critics of the four cardinals will not have an easy answer for their violent attack on such a just, worthy, and meritorious act of these four members of the Sacred College of Cardinals. The following words inspired by the Holy Spirit retain their prophetic value, especially in view of the spreading doctrinal and practical confusion regarding the sacrament of marriage in our own days. For the time is coming when the people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 2 Timothy 4, 3-5 May all who in our days still take seriously their baptismal vows and their priestly and episcopal promises receive the strength and the grace of God so that they may reiterate together with St. Hilary the words, May I always be in exile, if only the truth begins to be preached again. De Sinodis 78 this strength and grace we wish wholeheartedly to our four cardinals, and as well to those who criticize them. November 23, 2016 Athanasius Schneider, Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of St. Mary in Astana.
That was Bishop Athanasius Schneider and his open letter in defense of the four cardinals called A Prophetic Voice of Four Cardinals of the Holy Roman Catholic Church. Now you can tell from the onset that he's very passionate about his cause, probably because he feels deeply his vocation as a bishop, and he's a, a bishop for the whole church, just as all bishops are bishops for the whole church. Um, his first cause is clearly the truth, and it's in, which is embodied in the perennial teaching of the church and in Holy Scripture. Uh, his next and necessary consequence is going to be the defense of others who are trying to seek and defend the truth. Defense of truth requires clarity. When we don't understand something or when we are troubled by what we hear from legitimate teachers, we should ask for explanations. Uh, if you read the four cardinals letter, you can see that the cardinals are respectful while being urgent and pointed. There isn't anything sardonic or hostile in their queries. They want basic answers. And you can see what uh, the, the style of the four cardinals is by contrasting it with the style of those who have criticized the four cardinals. You put them side by side and read the tone, read the tenor of their remarks, uh, the questions on the one hand and the reactions to those asking the questions on the other. You might almost encapsulate uh, the reaction of the critics uh, something along the line of, uh, you know, shut up, he explained. Now, what is going to be the outcome of the five dubia of the four cardinals? Well, only time will tell. Uh, however, they have raised their voices, and that in itself is important. No matter what, what other outcome there is, whether the, they get an answer, whether they don't get an answer, whether they're ignored, whether they're, you know, whatever marginalized or, you know, whatever sin comes from this. Now, they did raise their voices. They asked the questions. They weren't silent. And I'm reminded of the time when St. Augustine of Hippo, in one of his tough sermons to his flock, spoke about the heavy responsibility of teaching a message that was hard for people to hear and accept. I think the four, the five dubia of the four cardinals are very hard for some people to hear and accept. And that's why they're maybe fighting against it so hard. Um, Augustine, uh, in Sermon 17, invoked the stern warning in Ezekiel chapter 3 about negligent pastors. Okay, uh, First, he, he starts to explain himself and tell, him, tell his people why he was teaching, why he was being so tough on them. And here's a little quote of Augustine from the second paragraph, the section, second section of Sermon 17. And he says, Dico vobis libro anima mea, in magno enim sum non periculo, sed exitio constitutus in tacuero. Sed cum ego dixero, et implebero officium meum, vos attendite iam periculum vestro. I am saying this to you, and I am saving my soul. If I will have kept silent, I won't be in great danger. I'll be rather in utter ruin. But when I will have spoken, and when I have fulfilled my duty, 
Pay attention, then, to your own danger. What, after all, do I want? What do I desire? What do I long for? Why am I talking? Why am I sitting here? Why am I even alive except for this intention? In order that we may live together with Christ. That's my desire. That's my honor. That's my treasured possession. This is my joy. That's my glory. But if you will not listen to me, and if I haven't been silent, I will save my soul. But I don't want to be saved without you. Quid autem volo, quid desidero, quid cupio, quare loquar, quale hic sedeo, quare vivo, nisi hac intentione, ucum Christo simul vivamus. Cupiditas mea istest, honor meus istest, possessio mea istest, gaudium meum hoc est, gloria mea istest, sed si non me audiris et tamen ego non tacuero, liberabo ego anima meam, sed nolo salvus esse sine vobis. Sometimes, I think more and more often, priests and especially bishops are called on to stand up in the public square as well as in their pulpits and teach the truth as the church and even the natural law written into us instruct us. And if they don't, there are eternal consequences for those priests and bishops because they have endangered their flocks either by lack of instruction or by false instruction. Priests and bishops who don't teach the truth are in danger of eternal damnation. They have to preach the truth, whether people are are going to listen or not. They have to preach the truth for their own sake, if for no other reason. But charity requires finding the best way of teaching the truth. And the hard part is finding the right ways to preach the truth so that it can be well accepted. If it's our objective to save souls, then we have to find the right way, that which is apt for our purpose. What must our tone be? What must our words be? What must our images be? But nevertheless, there are times when the truth must be preached. And sometimes that's going to be hard. In the ancient world, uh, there were no anesthetics or painkillers like we have today. And I remember reading in one place Augustine describing how the doctor doesn't stop cutting just because the patient is screaming for him to stop. Sometimes the truth must be preached. Nevertheless, sometimes the only apt way is simply to keep cutting. That's not popular, but it saves souls. Thank you for listening. Until next time, please pray for me as I will for you. This is Father John Zolsdorf.